It's a real joy to be led together in worship in that way. We're thankful to God for those who offer their gifts to serve us like this. Um, it was said we're going to be looking this morning, working our way continually through Daniel. just want to say as we turn to Daniel chapter 4 that, that tonight we're going to start a series on Ephesians. So that's going to begin tonight. And I've really been enjoying studying it. I don't know how you're going to enjoy me preaching it, but I've really enjoyed studying it. So, yeah, so we're looking forward to, to hearing what God has to say to us through Ephesians. So, we'll look now, though, at Daniel chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading from verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the people, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how many, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked And there stood before me a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit abundant. And on it was food for all. Under it the beasts of the field found shelter. And the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it every creature was fed. In the vision I saw while lying on my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the buds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and he gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of men. 
This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time. And his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top reaching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field and having nested places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the, the Most High is issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. We thank God for his work today. Let's just come to him now. In prayer. Father, we just want to thank you for the continuing relevance of your word, that every single part of your word has application to our lives right now. And so, Father, we pray that, that you'll take from this word what we need to hear today, that by your Spirit's power you'll apply it to our hearts. And that in our hearts you'll place a desire to be obedient to you, to respond and to do whatever your word is asking of us. And these things we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for the past couple of weeks as we've looked at Daniel, he's been pushed a, a little bit into the, the background, if you like, of this book bearing his name. And as we're now going to see this really continues for the next two weeks for the whole of, of chapter 4 as the, the spotlight now falls on Nebuchadnezzar with Daniel featuring really more in a, 
a supporting kind of role. And you know, as during this week I, I thought a fair bit about Nebuchadnezzar, then it really it struck me that, that so extreme is he, extreme in his reactions and the punishments he meted out, etc., that Nebuchadnezzar almost seems like a, a kind of pantomime villain. Well, I want to say he might seem like that to us at this point in time, looking back at him from the, the safe vantage point of thousands of years of history. But let me again assure you that for those living in Nebuchadnezzar's time, for those living under Nebuchadnezzar's rule, he was no figure of fun. No, he was a very, very serious and scary individual. A man who held absolute power in much of the then known world. A man who was totally self-centered, completely ruthless, and capable of acts of incredible cruelty. Now you see, the Bible tells us that God used Nebuchadnezzar as a disciplining tool in his hands. That he used him to discipline the nations. But here in, in this chapter, God now deals with Nebuchadnezzar as an individual. Here the, the pantomime villain now takes center stage. So let's look first of all then at Nebuchadnezzar's problem. And Nebuchadnezzar's problem is really presented to us in a kind of picture form in, in verse 4 and is then summed up for us in the closing verses of this chapter. Here's the picture. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. And here's the summary. Verse 37. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar's problem then was pride. And you can almost picture him here and in verses 28 and 29, looking out on his capital city, that great capital city of, of Babylon, and, and basking in what he'd achieved. The battles he had won, the countries he'd conquered, the peoples he'd forced to bow down in submission to him. Why, his achievements are almost unparalleled in human history. Right up to the, the present day. Just, just imagine it. He basically conquered the world. And then he sat down and, and set his mind to designing the world's greatest city. And just to give you some idea of the, the scale of what he did. A book has been found from this period. And it's 126 pages long. Do you know what this book is devoted to? A book devoted to recording the inscriptions made on the buildings that Nebuchadnezzar built. Just think of that, 126 pages. And then around Babylon, he had a, a wall built to, to fence in and protect his property. Now you might think that's pretty sensible and understandable. But listen to this, the wall that Nebuchadnezzar had built was 56 miles long. And it was of sufficient width that a four-horse chariot could turn around on it. 
And then one of his wives, wives sorry, coming from the land of the Medes, which was a comparatively green and fertile land, well, well, she felt homesick for her homeland. So what did Nebuchadnezzar do? Did he nip down to Golden's and buy her a bunch of flowers? Or a nice pot plant? No. What he did was he had the hanging gardens of Babylon built. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world. A series of magnificent terrace gardens built on the rooftops of Babylon and irrigated by the mighty Euphrates River. Now, I I don't know where Nebuchadnezzar quite would fit into our modern world. For world domination, just at the moment, at least by military means, isn't a very practical or or popular aim. Nuclear weapons, the destructive force of, of modern weapons has seen an end to that. So maybe, thinking about it, Nebuchadnezzar maybe would be an industrialist today. The head of one of those massive multinational corporations trying to achieve world domination by another means, by maybe economic means. We can only speculate about what Nebuchadnezzar would be. But what I will guarantee is that he would be on prime time TV telling everyone how he'd achieved everything that he had and his book, Nebuchadnezzar, The Secret of My Success would be high up on the bestsellers list. Now if you think, wait a minute, does anybody come to mind there? Hmm, I think maybe they do. But as Nebuchadnezzar looked around at all he'd achieved, as his chest puffed out, do you think that he thought at that moment he had a problem? No. And nor does the church... Nor do most Christians today seem to think pride is a big problem. For in my years as a Christian, I don't think I've ever heard any Christian everywhere, anywhere, come and share that they've got a problem with pride. I don't think I've ever heard of a believer being spoken to, being disciplined because of their pride. Sexual sin, yes. Dishonesty, yes. Gossip, ill-advised use of the tongue, very occasionally, but never, ever. Pride. And all the many thousands of Christian books that I've seen, some of them, I have to say, dealing with the most obscure of subjects, I don't think I've ever seen one devoted to the subject of pride and how to deal with it. So Nebuchadnezzar then, he didn't seem to think his pride was a problem. And we in the church, we don't seem to take pride too seriously either. But what though does God think? How does God see pride? Well, this is what the Lord says. Proverbs 8.13 I hate pride and arrogance. Evil behaviour and perverse speech. Proverbs 16 verse 5. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Because of this they will not go unpunished. Psalm 101 verse 5. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him I will not endure. 
1 Peter 5, verse 5. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, God has a very different attitude to pride than that shared by the majority of humanity. For there is nothing that God takes more seriously, nothing that God detests more than pride. Why? Well, we're going to explore this in a a little bit more depth in a few minutes. But just let's say for, for now that God hates pride because pride lies in at the roots of all sin. Pride is the main motivator of sin. Why, the very first sin in the Garden of Eden, that sin was all about pride. Genesis 3, 5 tells us that Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit because of their desire to be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, pride is about sin. Pride is the essence of sin. And so God hates it because he knows that it's lethal, because he knows that it's poison both in terms of our relationship with him and our relationship with one another. You know, I came across the story recently of an elderly lady who was just sick to death of her proud, smarty-pants husband. What a surprise. He was just so full of himself, and he was always correcting her, always putting her right. And so one day, exasperated and with a bit of an edge to her voice, she said, you know, even a broken clock is right once a day. Straight away, without even apparently catching breath, her husband came back with a one-word reply. Twice. (laughs) There was no information given further in that story about what happened next, though I think it's entirely possible that she then clocked him. (laughs) But that, anyway, was Nebuchadnezzar's problem. Pride. Let's move on to look at God's provision in Daniel. For you see, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. He had one earlier, but he has a dream this time that he knows that he senses deep within his being. He knows this isn't a, the result of eating too many olives late at night, but he knows that, that this is a significant dream. It's an ominous dream. And he's afraid. He's terrified. There are things in this dream that are eating away at him, that that worry him. So he calls upon the group that he usually does in this kind of situation, verse 7, the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. But nothing. They're able to shed no light on this for him. So then he turns to Daniel. Daniel, who he knows, operates on a different level, who is... Guided by a power other than that which influences his other advisors. Verse 8, he says, the spirit of the holy gods is with him. So, Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel his dream. And we're told that Daniel, verse 19, was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. Can you blame him? I mean, he's got bad news to break to the man who he knows always keeps the pilot light on his firmness, ready to go. Nebuchadnezzar sees this and says, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning 
worry you, alarm you. I think that says something, by the way, about the kind of complex character that Nebuchadnezzar was, that, that we all are in one sense, and about the kind of relationship that he developed with Daniel. You see, he was a, a ruthless tyrant, but he also had a surprising streak of sensitivity and a real respect for Daniel. Yes, you see, Daniel's life arising out of his walk with God and his own past experience of Daniel. This had convinced him that Daniel was a man who could be trusted, that Daniel's motives, Daniel's words could be trusted. But there's just two things here that I I want to pick out and just for a minute draw your attention to. First, that everyone needs a Daniel. Everyone needs a Daniel. And if you haven't got one, then you need to make that a matter of prayer and seek one out. And if you're thinking about that and you think, well, I would find a Daniel, you know, hard to deal with, impossible to cope with, then you need to make yourself a matter of prayer. You need to sort out your heart. But but when I say everyone needs a Daniel, what do I mean by that? What I mean is that everyone needs someone that they can go to and ask those questions about pride in your life. Knowing that you'll get the real truth, the right answer, in love, we always need it in love, but knowing that that person will tell you what is true. Now, I would like to suggest to you, I have to suggest to you, that if you're not ready for that today, if you don't like the sound of that, well, then that may be answers the pride question for you without you really ever having to ask it. But everyone needs a Daniel. Someone you respect in the Lord. Someone who you trust. Someone who you know loves you. But someone you know will have the courage to tell you the truth if you ask them where they believe you are in regard to pride in your life or just generally, spiritually, where you are. We all need a Daniel. We need this. Because one of the most dangerous things about pride is that those who suffer most from it seem to be the most blind about it. Pride seems to come complete with a blind spot. Jesus actually pointed this out on a number of occasions in, in, in his teaching, and particularly in his parables. For example, of the, in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. You know, the elder brother there, he's... He's so aware of all the sins of this younger brother, but he's so blind, isn't he, to his own pride. And in Luke 18.10, we're told almost exactly the same in the, in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You know, that Pharisee preening himself in prayer before God, gloating almost, in fact gloating, over the sins of others, like the tax collector who he felt Made them, this made them unfit for the presence of God. But never even taking time to consider that pride, that his pride, that this is the greatest barrier of all in terms of access to God. Second, notice here that, that Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar is ready to hear the word, but not to act upon it. And because of that, God intervenes. That's a warning 
to us all, especially in regard to pride. A warning that if we don't heed the lessons that God brings to us in his word, if we don't listen and obey to what God's saying, then he may well, particularly if he's got a certain work for us to do, he may use situations and circumstances to break us down, to open our eyes and force us into action. When we try to close our eyes and our ears, God will do what needs to be done to open them. But then there's this this dream of Nebuchadnezzar itself. Of this huge tree, great and strong, standing right in the middle of the land. And it provides food for all, shelter for all. It towers over everything. This is Daniel, goes on to point out as an interpretation, is a, a picture of Nebuchadnezzar's life. But you know, it also takes us right into the heart of what human pride actually is. For this tree is Nebuchadnezzar. Everyone looks up to him. Everyone depends on him. Everyone does what he wants. But this is also, in a wider sense, a picture of man's pride. A picture of what pride is all about, that stubborn self-sufficiency of man. For Nebuchadnezzar, he stands in the middle of his own world. He's in charge of his own world. There's that sense of, I've done it all on my own. I can manage my life without anyone else. I need no one. And there's no sense of any kind of dependence on God. Of any kind of awareness that one day... He'll be answerable to God. No sense of him understanding that this is God's world. And that while it is there for man to enjoy, and it is, yet it's our responsibility to steward it, to care for it as God's. And as we've said already in in earlier weeks, and as we'll touch on again a little bit later, this fact that that Nebuchadnezzar and his relationships is out of sync with God. This then affects his attitudes to and the way that he then deals with people. You see, pride does that. When we're full of ourselves, our own self-importance, then, we're ten- then we tend to look down on people who we feel don't measure up to our standards. And we tend to To value people only in terms of what use they are to us and only for as long as they're of use to us. So I want to ask the question, how do we measure up here? Do you think that you ever forget that whatever gifts and abilities that you have are ultimately from God? Do you ever find yourself maybe forgetting whose world it is and so who's supposed to stand at the centre of it? Do you ever find yourself maybe almost unconsciously thinking that you've made it and that you can do it all yourself? What about your attitude to people? Do you value people In terms of what use they are to you and how they can enrich your life. And how do you react to people that the majority of this world 
despises. The poor, the needy, the vulnerable, the dependent. Do you join in with the world? Do you have little or no time for them? Do you ignore them? Or alternatively, is your heart drawn to them? Do you ever find yourself wanting to let people know that you are in control? Are you ever tempted and motivated to seek power and influence and praise for its own sake rather than maybe simply attracting these things as you seek to serve the Lord? That's your focus. Well, when we run a pride check on our lives, how do we come out? How do we come out? Well, here's a story that I'm sure most of you have heard, but I think it, it illustrates well just how lacking in substance all our pride actually is. How it's always just a balloon waiting to be burst. Here's the story. We all know it. Bill and Hillary Clinton are driving to the hometown of Little Rock when they have to stop and fill up with petrol and while Bill is filling up he notices that Hillary is in animated conversation with one of the workers in the garage and driving down the road he questions her about this oh she says that's just a guy that I used to date in high school they drive along for a few minutes more in silence then a smile begins to form at the corners of Bill's mouth I bet I know what you're thinking, he says. How lucky you are to have married a man who became President of the United States rather than a petrol pump attendant. No, she says. Actually, what I was thinking was that if I had married him, he would be the President of the United States (laughs) and you would be a petrol pump attendant. The wonderful thinking of women. Notice though here, notice the way that God is going to deal with Nebuchadnezzar's pride. The mighty tree is going to be cut down to a mere stump. This man so proud, so self-assured, so self-sufficient. This man who looked down on others, who used others and disposed of others as he saw fit. He is to be taken down. He is to be reduced to insanity, to the level of a wild animal. You know, there's an irony there. For Nebuchadnezzar was already, in a sense, spiritually insane. Now he's going to become actually, literally, mentally insane. But remember what we said earlier about Nebuchadnezzar being willing to hear God's word but not willing to respond to it, not willing to act on it. Well, that's actually what happens again here. For you see, there's a 12-month time gap between this dream being given to him and the events that it foretold actually taking place. So you see, he had time to repent. He had time to get down on his knees before God, before God intervened in his life and brought him crashing to his knees. But you see, what I think we need to get a hold of here, out of this, is that where there is a significant pride problem in our lives, where that is the case, then God will either stop using us, he will bypass us, or he will deal with the pride 
in our lives. And give us an opportunity to repent. He'll challenge us through his word. Give us an opportunity to respond to him. He'll give us that. But what we cannot do is stay proud and be used by God in the long term. That just doesn't happen. No proud people, they can work hard and they often do. And they can achieve great things in this world. They frequently do. And the church also can be impressed and get excited by what the the proud achieve. And that too often happens as well. But the proud cannot in the long term achieve anything of spiritual significance. They cannot. Because what does the word of God say? 1 Peter 5, 5. God opposes the proud. Those who are full of themselves and their own self-importance. But gives grace to the humble. Well, we've looked at Nebuchadnezzar's problem, pride. We looked at God's provision in Daniel. Let's finish by just a few moments to look at Daniel's prescription. That is the, the way... That Daniel believed Nebuchadnezzar's sin of pride had to be dealt with. And it's there in verse 27. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Now what a thing to say Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's courage has not been in doubt since the first chapter of this book, but here it is confirmed absolutely. If you see, by this statement, what he's doing is he's really poking Nebuchadnezzar where he hurts. He's really touching the heart of the man Get by getting involved in Nebuchadnezzar's use of his power and wealth. Daniel's interfering in politics, in social justice. And these were the things that really mattered to King Nebuchadnezzar. But you know, it's interesting, isn't it, that that Daniel doesn't just say here to Nebuchadnezzar, you know, acknowledge who the true God is. He doesn't stop there. He, He doesn't even seem to say or to think that it's enough to say, you know, bow the knee to the true God. Humble yourself before him. Worship him. No, he doesn't stop there. He tells him here to also go on and do what is right and be kind to the oppressed. Now, do you see what's going on? This is a, a faith and works thing. Daniel's saying, believe the right things. Yes, you have to worship the true God, of course. But then, because you believe the right things, go on to do the right things. Prove that your pride actually has been dealt with by the way that you live and especially by the way that you go on to treat people, particularly Those who are despised, rejected, and oppressed. You see, that's how we show that pride is under control in our lives. That's how we show it. When we love. 
when we love God and because we love God, when we're then able to love the people that God loves. You see, God is the humblest being in the universe. He is. Pride is no part in God. Not a bit. How do we know that? Well, we know it because he left the glory of heaven and because of love came to this earth to die on the cross for sinful men who despise him. You see, God hates pride because it is anti-love. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he tells us that when God's love is truly present in our lives, then one of the ways in which that will show is by pride being marked absent from our lives. He says... Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. So you see, Daniel's prescription for pride is go and love. Especially the weak, the despised, and the oppressed. And the way that we've proved that we've dealt with any pride in our lives is when we go and actually do it. So how do we fare with the pride test today? How, where do we stand with this? You know, as I, I thought about this during the week, the parable of the good Samaritan again challenged me. The religiously respectable but proud, they pass by. They let the wounded traveller lie there in the gutter while the despised Samaritan got down there beside him and showed him love. And, and it struck me, challenged me. Am I? Are we like those religiously respectable men? You know, we're in this building believing the right things, saying the right things, singing the right songs, praying the right prayers, talking about God's love. But are we at the same time Unwilling to get out there in the streets around. Unwilling to get alongside the really needy in this community. And minister to them in that love. Is that where I am? Am I too respectable? Am I too proud? Do I maybe stand back while the, the world around goes in and actually shows the love that I should be showing? Is that so? And is that maybe part of the reason why we fail to make the impact that we should today? Because the world senses our pride. And because God then holds back his blessing because of our pride. Is that so? I, tell you, I don't know all the answers here. But I do pray. Lord, if we need to be humbled, humble. Humble us. But please, Lord, Make us usable. Do whatever needs to be done. But make us usable. Make us channels of your humble love. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for what you teach us through the examples that we find in your word. Good and bad. Lord, you speak to our hearts. Father, we don't want to be proud like Nebuchadnezzar and those who are like him in this world, and there are so many. 
But we want to be humble. We want to reflect the humility and love of Jesus. Lord, help us to be in right relationship with you. That we might live for you as we should. In Jesus' name, amen.